electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes the analogy fits so well, we just got to use it. If only to teach people what's really happened in the market. Sure, we can use the averages. They tell the tale of some of the day's action. Dow dipping 41 points. S&P declining 0.54%. NASDAQ losing 0.84%. But today I saw something, something worrisome. Something that bothered me. I saw a hammered market. A market where the buyers have gotten drunk as a proverbial skunk, buying the worst of the worst. And when you get hammered, you know there's going to be a nasty hangover on the way. Now, look, for most of the year, this market's been sane, sensible, a sober evaluator of merchandise. And that's why the Magnificent Seven racked up such big gains. Go back in time and remember when they were first running. It was literally one of the worst weeks of the year when the bank dominoes were falling. The rotation of the mega cap techs made tons of sense. At that very moment, we thought there'd be a credit crisis. Any company with a need to borrow money, a customer base that needs financing, looked like it was toast. So people dumped the banks and any companies that needed to borrow and gravitated to what? They gravitated to Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. See, these companies spew cash, practically ATM machines, even Tesla, which used to be desperate for cash, but now it's pretty good balance sheet. The Magnificent Seven didn't just appear on the horizon one day out of nowhere. They were selected by a market that was sober, a sober judge of what could survive pretty much any downturn, as it seemed like a recession was suddenly in the cards. Then as we got further away from the mini banking crisis, the market broadened out, and investors collectively got a nice buzz going. You could say the market grabbed a couple of Coronas and took its time drinking them. You can drag these sips out and maintain the buzz without getting plastered. That's little advice there. Mind you, you can't drive. You can't discern the road like that. But you can buy more aggressive stuff and get a designated driver to take you home. And that's when we decided we could buy the artificial intelligence ancillary stocks like ServiceNow and Adobe, the highest quality techs that didn't make the Magnificent Seven cut. We lapped up cybersecurity like CrowdStrike and Palo Alto. We reached for Eli Lilly because of the chatter about GLP-1 success in reducing weight and treating diabetes. We grabbed AMD and it's an alternative to NVIDIA, glommed on to Cadence and Synopsys partners NVIDIA. We gravitated to Walmart and Costco, the best of the retailers, and we fell in love with General Electric as a way to invest in aerospace. But not everyone at the party acts responsibly, do they? And some are just not content to be buzzed. There's always some jokers who want to get, they want to cross the line, and when they want, they want to get hammered. And that's where we are today. The hammered investors have taken over, and they're drinking some sort of sternal-like punch out of a garbage can. Consider some of the biggest moves today. Let's start with Estee Lauder. Now, this is a company that, regretfully, we own for the charitable trust. 
talk about the good ones. This is a bad one. Now, at one time, it was among the top-run businesses in the world, offering the best of the best cosmetics and skincare. Lauder managed to dodge the shrinking department sort of bullet in this country, went huge into Asia, especially China. It made a big bet on Chinese travelers who resell their goods, and it pushed heavily into the duty-free stores. Brilliant strategy, until it wasn't. Lauder ran headfirst into a counterintuitive Chinese lockdown that was impossible to game because their government was so irrational about COVID. Meanwhile, L Beauty, the discount cosmetics company, came on strong, taking share in some of its best markets. It was a disaster for Lauder shareholders, with the stock down 44% for the year. Today, though, Lauder stock was up 5.3%. What's going on? We can speculate. Oh, activists involved, and I heard that one takeover, restructuring, heard that too. But I think the buyers here are simply hammered. They're drunk on euphoria and hoping that someone even more intoxicated will take it off their hands at a higher price. Or how about Illumina? Back in the day, Illumina was to biotech equipment as Estee Lauder was to cosmetics. But it missed quarter after quarter after quarter. And the stock got knocked down every time. Lost 43% for the year. Yet today it was up 4%. Like Estee Lauder, people remember the once great brand and they think that there's something meaningful going on. Uh, Look, I look not at the company, but at the buyers. And I think they've had three Manhattans too many. Not long ago, we had Bracken Darrell, the brand new CEO of VF Corp on the show. He arrived at the apparel business from Logitech, where he had built the greatest computer peripherals company on Earth, including some of the finest gaming equipment, one of the best waves worth riding in recent years. Back in July, he left Logitech to go clean up the Aegean stable known as VF Corp, a house of brands that fell behind in almost every apparel line, especially its largest division, Vans, the sneaker brand, with revenues down an astounding 22% for the year. When Bracken came on the show, he made it clear there's no quick fix to Vans and told us not to expect one this year. Sober investors would plunge into this punch bowl, which is why VF Corp's down 32% for the year. But buyers were so inebriated today that the stock jumped nearly 4%. You want to have it? How about solar? Wall Street turned on the solar stocks when it became clear uh, they were really more about financing than electricity, because most people have to borrow money to put these solar panels, solar edge, and phase energy down 71% and 59% for the year, respectively. But now that interest rates have come down, with the investors with lampshades on their heads, can't help but reach for reach for both of them. So Solar Edge, which was just tossed out of the S&P 500 for two short years, was up 1.36% today and faced rally 2.2%. These stocks are down so much for the year that there might be a new wave of hammered investors anxious to get in before the party's over. I wouldn't be surprised if these overserved investors go for the post-COVID hard luck losers next. Moderna, Pfizer, maybe DocuSign. Careful, that one reports Thursday. Or maybe the stocks that have been decimated by worries about these GLP-1 weight loss drugs. Consider a company like JM Smucker, the packaged food power else that had the misfortune of buying hostess just before the market decreed that all junk food is fini. The hammered should beware, Smucker reports tomorrow morning. So please wait to sober up with some earnings before you do any buying under the influence. Now, these kinds of rotations are classic tales of a bull market in a momentary excess mode. The sober stocks give way to the buzz stocks. We give way to the hammer stocks. It's time immemorial. And then, of course, the market suffers the inevitable hangover and swears it'll never drink again. You know what that means? We go right back to the dry stocks that got overbought and were just sold by those who drank the most. Many have come down so much, by the way, you can start buying maybe as soon as this week. Can stocks really mirror life this closely? Uh, Not really. For example, there's an old adage that says that you should never be the first to arrive at a party or the last to go home. In this record, it's terrific to be the first to arrive, as long as you recognize that if you're more than buzz, you've overstayed your welcome and have to leave. But bottom line, for those who are slamming them down now and buying stocks under the influence, let's hope they have some designated brokers to help them home. Otherwise, they're going to have some regrets come morning. Let's take calls. Let's go to Scott in Florida. Scott. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. How about you? 
Good, good, Jim. Hey, man, I'm in the uh, I'm in the hurt locker bad with PayPal, and I'm wondering if I mean like sixty percent down with a sizable position, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are whether I should double down, hold, or sell. No, I don't want you to double down because I don't like the fundamentals that much. I think that as we get to the end of the year, the, the tax law selling will finish. And then that's when you have to sell, because I just don't think that the company has a lot going for it anymore. Let's go to Gary in Texas. Gary. A big Southern University booyah to you, Jim. Absolutely. Enjoying your show. Thank you, Gary. What's going on? Hey, you're calling to find out I need to get the 411 on a stock. Portillo. I want to know, what do you think? They're starting to expand, but there are some questions there. What can you hook me up with? Okay, I like that stock until I saw that these uh, insiders just kept dumping and dumping and dumping and dumping and dumping. And finally, I gave up. I said, you can't go for it anymore. Uh, it's just too expensive, and they won't stop selling. And that is bad news. All right. For those who are slamming them down now and buying the worst performers under the influence, I think you had a rough morning ahead. Old man money tonight. The S&P 500 may be a stalwart, but it's more dynamic than you think. I'm taking a closer look at the latest stocks to join the Hallowed Index and finding out which ones you might consider for your own portfolio. Then it's not just healthcare stocks that can benefit from GLP-1 drugs. I'm evaluating all the tangential winners from these weight loss drugs, from warehouse producers to apparel manufacturers. And Marvell's shares plummeted after the company saw revenue decline in its latest quarter. So how should investors continue to evaluate this semi-company, especially when it gave kind of a downbeat forecast? I'm seeing where the chips will fall with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Even though, as you know, I'm a big believer in stock picking, 
I've always said you should put your first 10 grand in a low-cost index fund that mirrors the performance of the S&P 500. See, the pros call this passive investing, but it, it, it works because averages like the S&P 500 are a lot more actively managed than you might think. For example, last Friday, we learned about the latest substitutions of the S&P 500, Uber Technologies, Builders First Source, and J-Bill. They're taking the places of sealed air, blast air, and solar edge technologies. And tonight, I want to go over the new additions because they often make for terrific stock picks. Uber is the bold-faced name of the new S&P 500 constituents, stock I've been recommending ever since CEO Dara Khosrowshahi took over. When he got religion on cost-cutting in May of last year, it really went into overdrive. He was among the first to pivot to profitability, and since then, the stock's more than doubled, in large part because he's delivered. Uber's been profitable since the summer, and it's delivered three straight quarters of huge free cash flow beats. Hence why the stock's up 137% year-to-date, and I'm glad we, we didn't really push it until he got the religion. I mean, I always liked it, but it was really just a great stock when you decided no more losses. And like the curators, the S&P 500, I remain bullish on Uber even after the monster move. While second fiddle competitor uh, Lyft, which just had them last week, they might be undervalued given its new management team. Uber's still running circles around them in ride sharing, and they dominate food delivery along with DoorDash. Yeah, I like the stock of Uber. Long story short, if the consensus analyst estimates are accurate, Uber could quintuple its earnings per share over the next two years. Quintuple. That's the kind of growth you want to own. And anybody who's invested in the S&P 500 index fund will get a piece of it. Second new addition, another one that's pretty cool. Builders First Source, which distributes housing materials to home builders and contractors of all sizes. And it's a consolidator in a historically fragmented industry. We've highlighted this one a few times in the show, most recently in early August, because it's been such a huge long-term winner. There are things up more than 1,000% over the past five years. Back then, I said the stock might be due for a pullback, but you should buy it into weakness. Sure enough, Builders First Source had already seen its stock peak at that point. As interest rates crept higher and higher, the share price plummeted from 156 to a low of 105 and change in late October. However, as I predicted... That weakness was a buying opportunity as the stock surged nearly 30 points since the most recent earnings report on November 1st. Builders po- uh, posted softer sales coupled with huge earnings beat, and the guidance looks similar. This time, Wall Street chose to focus on the strong earnings numbers, and the stock hasn't looked back since. More important, because Builders sells housing materials, the company's ultimately hostage to interest rates. Given that rates have plummeted from their highs and could fall even lower, I think the stock could have much more upside. Wall Street expects the company to have a down earnings year in 2024, but the stock sells for less than 12 times next year's numbers, so it's pretty cheap. And a lot will have a big move upward if mortgage rates start falling and housing remains in short supply in this country. Ah, what can I say? It's another great addition to the S&P 500. Now, the last new addition to the S&P, a little more controversial, is J-Bill, J-A-B-I-L. It's an outsourced electronics manufacturer, best known for its status as an Apple supplier. This one surprised me, mainly because J-Bill stock had just had a tough week. It tumbled 12% last Wednesday after pre-announcing week sales for the last quarter and slashing its guidance, blaming inventory corrections across multiple end markets. But do not cry for J-Bill. Even after last week's pullback, the stock's up 69% year-to-date, up more than 370% over the past five years. Makes sense given that the earnings have more than tripled over the same period. j a fine company. They're more than just an Apple supplier. They do manufacturing for everything from electric vehicles to healthcare to renewable energy to the data center. They had a nice, steady earnings growth for the past decade. Really, and, and even after cutting their four-year forecast, they'll be putting up some solid numbers. I'm not super enthusiastic about j here, 
I'm certainly glad that they announced it to the S&P after the shortfall. But I can't deny it's a quality long-term holding, which is exactly what the uh, S&P keep, keepers are looking for. Of course, if they had added a couple weeks ago, it would have been a nightmare. Now it's just a buying opportunity. How about the three stocks that they got that they booted from the S&P 500? All right, I'm actually a little bit bummed to see Alaska Air go. I've always had a soft spot for this regional airline, but the stock's down more than 20% for the year, including a hideous 14% decline today after we learned about their planned acquisition of Hawaiian Airlines. Clearly, Wall Street doesn't like it, and I don't think it's worth fighting the tape with this one. Remember, you know how I feel about the Justice Department investigating these deals. Next, Sealed Air's been expelled, too. This is a packaging and warehouse technology play. Fine company. But the stock's been a real dog over the past couple of years. It soared during the COVID-fueled e-commerce boom. Since then, it's been obliterated to the point where the market capitalization is just too small for the S&P 500. And the last fallen name is Solar Edge. It's a fitting representative for the heinous residential solar industry. As I said at the top of the show, most of the home solar plays were less about energy and much more about financing, so they got crushed by higher interest rates. The match just doesn't make sense for people with rates at these levels, hence why Solar Edge's earnings have been evaporating. Even though rates are now going down, I don't mind swapping this one out for the much more consistent builders for a source. These periodic adjustments to the S&P 500 are one of the reasons why I like the S&P 500 so much. They gradually trim the losers, try to find better companies to replace them, companies that are more representative of the current economy. That's actually the definition of active management, which is a big reason why this benchmark is so difficult for many money measures to beat. If it were passive, it would let the losers run their course. Instead, it boots them and adds winners. Now, that's a fantastic actively managed passive index. Just look at some of the most recent rounds of changes so you really drive this point home. In October, Lululemon and Hubble, an electronic components manufacturer, were added, replacing Organon, the struggling established women's health and drug company spinoff from Merck, and then Activision Blizzard, which got acquired by Microsoft, going out on a high. Since the change went into effect, Lou is up 12%, Hubble's up 1%, Organon down 28%. In mid-September, Airbnb and Blackstone replaced Lincoln National, that's a suboptimal insurer, and Newell Brands, underperforming consumer products maker. Since then, Airbnb's down 6%, Blackstone's up nearly 2%. Okay, not great, not great, I know. But then again, consider that Lincoln, that's down 6%, and Newell's tumbled 13%. And of course, the S&P 500 made its best recent addition in June when it added cybersecurity kingpin Palo Alto Networks, which took the place of the awful Dish Network. The stock of Palo Alto, which we own for the Chapel Trust and recommend frequently to those who belong to the CNBC Investing Club, is up 16%. Dish is down almost 40%. Sell, sell, sell. Look, the changes don't always work out. At least not right away. Danner's water spinoff, Veralto, has lagged DXC Technologies since taking its place in October. Although I do like Feralto very much down here. But far more often than not, the replacements do better than the companies they're replacing. And I got to tell you, Veralto, we, we sold it for the Chapel Trust because we, we got it from Danner, but it is a darn good company. I would buy it right here. Bottom line, these swaps are a big reason why I'm always happy to see someone invested in a low-cost index fund that mirrors the S&P 500. It's also why it pays to look out for these new additions, because many times they're worth buying on their own. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, is this biotech breakthrough the gift that keeps on giving? Pin action from weight loss drugs has some markets clattering. Kramer has more next. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Just a couple of months ago, Wall Street was terrified of two things, the relentless rise in long-term interest rates and, in a distant second place, the impact of these new GLP-1 diabetes and weight loss drugs from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. These drugs didn't exactly come out of nowhere. We've suddenly been covering them for a long time, and my charitable trust has a big position in Lilly for ages. But for whatever reason, this fall, the market finally decided we need to reckon with what it might mean for the future of the food industry. For those of you who actually haven't heard of Ozempic or Monjaro, these drugs make you lose lots of weight, in part by eliminating cravings. Think of it like this. They take away the urge to eat junk food because it just doesn't taste all that compelling. You'd rather have an apple or an orange. Six months ago, nobody cared about what that meant for the food industry, but this fall, investors collectively decided, wait a second, these GLP-1 drugs could be catastrophic for the processed food business. And not just food, any business that benefits from high rates of diabetes or obesity, like a number of medical device makers. Really good companies. The severity of these cells was frankly astonishing. When you look at the packaged foods industry, the restaurant industry, the medical device industry, each of the three largest representatives in the SP 500 plummeted by 15 to 30 percent from the July highs to the October lows. Those are stunning losses. And those are just the largest players in each space. We're talking about Mondelez, yeah, Oreos, Kraft Heinz, McDonald's. At labs, many smaller and lower quality stocks in the same groups were hit even harder. The point is, all of these categories were wrecked by GLP-1 worries, and investors collectively jumped to the conclusion that entire industries were doomed in this new world of weight loss drugs. These stocks traded like people would stop eating food or no longer need medical procedures for complications from obesity. Ridiculous. Eventually, though, these things settled down. In October, uh, everything rebounded along with the rest of the market. People aren't freaking out about the situation anymore, maybe because the backdrop for the stock market has become a lot more benign. Now, rather than these bad, uh, than the bad from the GOP ones, I got an idea. I think we should start to appreciate the good, and that's what I want to go over. Because if you really believe tons of people take these weight loss medications to the point where it'll have a transformational impact on the economy, well, that's going to create a lot of winners, too. Naturally, that'd be very good news for the companies that actually make these drugs. Novo Nordisk, Eli like Lilly. Nobody ever got hurt by restating the obvious. Granted, both stocks have already run a great deal, but I think they have more room to run because these GOP-1 drugs are miraculous. I think they're the biggest drugs in history. Right now, they're being studied for a bunch of other indications, heart disease, kidney disease, even heavy drinking. As we get more positive data on the new class of medications, the insurance companies are more likely to pay for them, which is really important because these GOP-1 injections are incredibly expensive without insurance. And for now, Nova Nordisk and Lilly 
pretty much own the entire space. Sure, other drug companies are always working on their own rival therapies. Who could avoid this category? But it's easier said than done. Last Friday, Pfizer said they're discontinuing their clinical trials on their lead GOP-1 pipeline candidate. It was a pill rather than an injection. People like pills a lot more than injections because so many patients dropped out of the study because of side effects. But how about we get more creative? Let's look for some lesser-known GLP-1 plays that can work. Regular viewers know that I have suddenly turned and like Tyson Foods, the leading meat producer, even though the latest quarter was grim with a tepid outlook. Why? In large part because these GLP-1 drugs don't just make you lose fat. There's a side effect. They make you also lose muscle. They take down everything. So whenever a doctor prescribes one, they tell you to eat way more protein. And protein is Tyson's proverbial bread and butter. This morning, the Wall Street Journal published a piece talking about how companies like Nestle and Abbott Labs, Abbott Labs been hurt a lot by this, are looking to take advantage of the GOP-1 craze through the sale of another thing, uh, protein shakes, that's another part of Abbott's business, or similar food products with added protein. Remember, Tyson's better, though. I think it's a sound decision. I say don't get cute. Stick with the original source of protein, meat companies like Tyson. Chicken's got protein, too, not as much. If you can't bring yourself to bet on a historic level uh, loser like Tyson, and it is, it is a historic loser, I got another one. Protein-focused food company Hormel, which, like Tyson, had a weak quarter last week, but historically it's been a better operator. Yet these drugs will make you lose weight even if you subsist on an all-spam diet. Now, we stumbled on another company with a big GOP-1 opportunity on Friday. When we spoke with Bob Pergada, he's the CEO of Jacob Solutions, letter J, which is an engineering and construction company. I've been recommending us to play on infrastructure spending, something that really hasn't kind of out. Let's say it hasn't panned out yet, as I hoped, even as it's gotten more complicated. With Jacob spinning off its government, government services business through a complicated and expensive reverse Morris Trust transaction, suffice it to say it's going to go into two different groups. We learned something interesting in that interview, though. See, Jacobs helps design the advanced manufacturing facilities that pharmaceutical companies will use to produce all these GLP-1 shots. We know that Nova Nordisk and Eli Lilly are investing billions of dollars to scale up manufacturing to meet demand of the GLP-1 drugs. And it turns out that Jacobs is getting some of that business, both domestically and overseas. Pergada told us that his life sciences unit is already growing at a double-digit clip, and within 12 to 18 months, new GLP-1 production will count for 30 to 40 percent of that entire important division. Finally, there's one more group of stocks that could, ben- could stand to benefit uh, from the rise of GOP-1s, and that's the apparel space. This is actually something we heard a couple of months ago from Chip Berg, the CEO of Levi's, who said that significant weight loss would lead to people buying entire new wardrobes because the old stuff doesn't fit anymore. Similar to what happened when people gained or lost lots of weight during the pandemic. Either weight gained from being stuck indoors or weight loss from getting sick. Listen to this. One of the things that did drive the category kind of coming out of the pandemic was about 40 percent of consumers had a waist change. Some people went up. Some people went down, but that definitely drove it. Waist size change always drives a new closet, right? And so definitely helped. Maybe nobody caught that comment at the time because Levi's reported a mixed quarter. And yes, it cut its forecast. But I hope someone picked up on it because the stock's now up 19% since the interview. It's taken some time, but more and more people seem to be picking up on this idea. Last week, Steve Philanalyst Jim Duffy published the results of this U.S. consumer survey, which showed that 15% of respondents are currently on a GLP-1 drug, with another 21% reporting that they'd be interested in using a GLP-1 drug if the FDA approved it for weight loss, the drug had, proved, had proven results, and it became widely available. All that has to happen. And if that's the case, 
He's betting apparel gets a big bump from people who actually need new clothes that fit. Hey, by the way, when it comes to apparel, I like Ralph Lauren and then PVH, both of which reported excellent quarters not long ago. Here's the bottom line. When the market was ugly, everyone was worried about how much money the food companies would lose from these GOP-1 weight loss drugs. Now that the market's much more optimistic, we're focused on potential winners from the same story. You can buy the drug makers. You can look for protein plays like Tyson Food or Hormel. You can bet directly on engineering firms like Jacobs. Or maybe the mass weight loss story makes you a lot more bullish on apparel. Take your pick. Let's go to Bill in Massachusetts. Bill. Mr. Kramer, club member, doing the homework. I love the club, having oh. a great time making money. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much for those kind comments. I love it. Let's go to work. Happy holidays to you and your staff, your family, everybody. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. I I have a question on about uh, TJX. Uh, versus Costco. When sure. you um, is it just simply evaluations? Is it timing? Is it the CEO's earnings, market size, evaluation at that time? How would you, you know, pick? And if you would say to invest a thousand dollars into the two retailers, because I'm looking for retailers right now. Which one would you put it fifty fifty or stronger to one side? Well, Bill, other. I got to tell you, I would do 50-50 because Costco is really a club membership uh, story, and TJX is about off-price. They have the most off-price they've ever had. They've got quality stuff. I check it all the time, but Costco is terrific, too. Let's split them in half, and thank you for the kind comments for understanding what the investing club really does, which is teach. It's the only club in the world about stocks, and it teaches, and that's what I'm proud of. Thank you. Jim in Florida. Jim. Jim, long-time listener. First time caller. Okay, let's go to work, Jim. All over the place with news. What's your take on Nike, and why is it being deemed a defensive pick? Well, it's not defensive with me. It's discretionary spend. Now, here's what I know about Nike. Two things. One, it's a great American company. And two, I just listened to Foot Locker, which had a better expected quarter. And Nike sales are great there. I actually believe that Nike sales are holding up in China, and I think the stock represents good value considering the historical nature of how well it's done. Thank you for the call. Now, there's a lot of potential winners from the GOP-1 story. You could consider buying the drug makers, protein plays, engineering plays, or even apparel makers. I say take your pick. Now, there's much more mad money head. Marvell, CEO, blamed the weak environment for the company's revenue decline. But does the chipmaker see any improvement in the near future? I'm finding out more with the CEO. Tough story to understand. Then lots of investors like to blame the shorts when their favorite stock underperform. I got a different perspective on this unique class of stock pickers. I'm telling you what it is. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. What do we do with the stock of Marvell Technology, the semiconductor company that made some bullish comments about uh, AI back in May, sent the stock up 32% in a single session? I think the stock did get ahead of itself a little bit, but it's been paying the price ever since. Marvell bottomed along with the rest of the semiconductor cohort in late October, but then the stock got hit pretty hard after the company reported last Thursday night. While the actual quarterly results were quite strong, management paired that with the tepid forecast for the fourth quarter in the start of next year. Now, Mar- Marvell's AI revenue has grown even faster than expected. But is that enough to justify sticking with the stock? 
when the rest of the business seems to be, let's just say, facing some near-term weakness? Let's check out with Matt Murphy. He's the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Marvell Technology. Get a better sense of what's happening. Mr. Murphy, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so, Matt, this is really, uh, I have to tell you, your stock is one of the hardest for me to analyze because, on the one hand, <laughs> you have got this incredible business, this AI business, where you're teamed up with NVIDIA. I see that thing growing even faster than you do. On the other hand, you've got some, I don't even want to call them legacy businesses. They're good businesses, but some of them are in a cyclical downturn. How do you tell me first how big the opportunity is in AI, but then you can tell because you know how we owned it for the trust and we got a little nervous. Tell us about whether things aren't bottoming in the other part. We can be and we can just rest assured that it's a good stock to own right now. Sure. Great, Jim. Yeah, let's talk about AI first. Uh, as you mentioned um, earlier this year, when we laid out our AI opportunity, we talked about it being basically four hundred million dollars of revenue this year, which was roughly double from a year ago and then going to 800 million next year. Uh, The latest update actually is that in the fourth quarter, we're guiding our AI revenue to be north of 200 million per quarter um, on a quarterly basis exiting the year. So we have a great setup for AI next year. Our overall cloud and data center business is set to grow again next year. And that's a real positive. On the other side of the business, what, and I agree, it's not our legacy business, our carrier and our enterprise segments, by design, are part of the diversified business model of Marvell, Jim. And while both are going through a cyclical uh, correction uh, at the moment, if you actually look at even last quarter, in our third quarter, we had record carrier revenues, as an example. And so um, looking forward, those two businesses over time are going to get through their cyclical downturn. They provide a very solid foundational base to Marvell uh, when they're back at their run rates. And they're very healthy, long-term, sticky businesses for, Mel- for Marvell. And it's part of our diversified strategy to have uh, multiple different end markets that we're exposed to um, for, for growth over the long term. Well, you know, it, it kind of feels a little bit like when I was speaking to Chuck Robbins from Cisco. I mean, they had a great last quarter. Then, and I know you guys do a lot of business together. And then they actually said, look, um, we have a couple quarters where it's going to be tough. But then we're going to come back. I mean, that's what I was thinking about Marvell. A couple quarters where it could be tough, but then you come back. No, I think that's right. There's a, there's a you know, look, I've, I've been in this industry a long time, Jim. Uh, there has always been cyclicality in the semiconductor industry. Uh, you've probably heard this multiple times. There's, there's no new normal. There's no new uh, way of doing things. It's always going to have some cyclicality to it. The nice thing about us is the cyclical nature of it um, is buffeted in balance by having end market uh, you know, diversification. So, yeah, it's going to take some time for these markets to normalize. But earlier this year, when data center, by the way, across the industry had corrected down sharply for everybody, if you remember about a year yeah. ago, our carrier and enterprise businesses actually carried the day. And so from a, from a uh, uh, kind of a linear perspective, we've been able to manage the company pretty effectively and, and avoid you know, a hard landing that some of the other companies with a lot of consumer exposure or, or less diversification have gone through. So we run the company for the long term, Jim. Um, and I think having these, having these different markets are good. And, and by the way, when those come back, It'll be a tailwind, right? A tailwind right. on revenue, a tailwind on earnings, and it provides a stable base uh, for the company to grow off of. Now, I think a lot of the bulls, uh, myself included, are looking at AI and saying, you know what, that's going to be 50% of the business. 
But I don't want it to be 50% because the rest of the business has fallen off a cliff. I want a growing pie, and it just so happens that the part that's growing the fastest is AI. Now, is 24, is it conceivable in calendar year 24 that that could happen? Yeah, so, so uh, just to give some numbers to it, in the fourth quarter, we're guiding our overall data center business to be about 50% of company total. And AI is a portion of that and the fastest growing. That's actually been part of our long-term plan, Jim. If you go back mm-hmm. to our analyst day we had in October 2021, we talked about a vision, actually, to grow Marvell's data center business to half the company. Right. Um, it's had some, some, some ups and downs along the way as, in terms of being a percentage total just because of the, the, uh, the uh, supply-demand situation that's gone on the last few years. But we're tracking, actually, to where we want it to be as a percent of total. I think the AI portion being a bigger part of that than we thought a few years back is actually a good thing because that part of the business is tied to a bigger trend, which is really accelerated computing, right. of which AI is sort of the biggest application today. So we have great excitement around our data center business for growth next year and over the long term, and it will be Marvell's fastest growth driver. So, so yeah, the AI portion, just to be clear, is not, not half the business, but it's, right. a, it's an important part, of, important part of half the business, which is data center. Okay, so what do we do, uh, enterprise networking and automotive? I mean, I know that they're not, you know, together, they're a considerable part of your company, and both of them were, uh, your outlook is just not so good there, Matt. Yeah, so, so on, the, uh, on the enterprise side, like we talked about, there's, there is cyclicality to that, right, we, okay. we, um, and that's been coming down for a few quarters, and it'll correct over time. Automotive has been on a tremendous run, okay? I mean, this was a business that we developed fundamentally organically at Marvell. Uh, we got it to several hundred millions of, hundred million dollars of revenue per year, up from nothing a few years ago. Um, that business has performed extremely well from a year-over-year basis. We said it was going to be flatter you know, in, in the short term here, but if we look to next year, automotive has got tremendous growth in front of us, and that's primarily because even if car units are flat or they don't grow much, the content that Marvell provides inside these vehicles for in-vehicle networking is increasing significantly every year, and the number of customers that we have. Right. So overall, it's a, it's a very positive uh, 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 end market for us. I'd say in the short term, after you know, two, three years of continuous growth, it's flattened right. out a little bit, but and it's then, actually uh, not a big deal at, at all. Last, okay. And last consumer, just okay, right? But that's a lot of people's yeah, consumer actually, just okay. That's right, and that's been an area where we haven't emphasized, uh, you know, R&D investment for some time. When, you know, I became CEO a little over seven years ago, that was the biggest part of the portfolio. It was roughly 60% plus of our revenue. Uh, We've undergone a transformation to focus on pure play infrastructure. So this year it was about 10% of our revenue, and we've grown the company dramatically over that time frame. So the mix has shifted favorably. Right. We're um, and we're and we've guided investors for a long time that that business would trend down over time because it's not an area of focus, and uh, where we're putting our R and D dollars is really where the puck is going, which is in high performance data infrastructure applications driven by accelerated computing. That's going to be the biggest okay. uh, semiconductor opportunity, I think, over the next um, several years. All right, Matt. Well, look, thank you for putting in the right perspective. It's been it, it, it's tough to understand. But I think that people who are listening now know exactly what they're getting into, and the stock is down a lot. So I, you, you laid it out well. That's Matt Murphy's president and CEO of Marvell Technology. Thank you for coming on, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Okay, man, money be back after the break. 
Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Time for the lightning round, Kramer. Let's start with Lenny in New York. Lenny. Booyah, Jim. How are you? Lenny I am good, Lenny. Park. Thank you. What's up? What do you think about a plug? Should I no, I'm pulling it? the plug on plugs. They keep missing the quarters. No go for me. Let's go to Mandy in Maryland. Mandy. Hi, Jim. How about you? I am fine, Mandy. How about you? I'm hanging in there. Thank okay. you. I'm a devoted fan. Thank you so much for teaching us how to invest. I really uh, appreciate all your help. Thank you. Uh, I have a, a stock in mind. Uh, I think there is something going on in two weeks. I'm not sure. Uh, Cleveland Cliff. Okay, Cleveland Cliffs, yeah, they may be bidding for uh, letter X for uh, U.S. Steel, and I think the stock is cheap either way, and it's really well run. Let's go to Paul in California. Paul. Hey, Jim. It's Paul in Santa Cruz, California. How are you? I'm great. I'm calling about SMCI. Look, it's a derivative of NVIDIA, frankly. It's kind of a, just one more company that is involved with supercomputing. I like it. Let's go to Ray in New York. Ray. This is Ray in New York, Mr. Kramer. I'm calling about a little stock that I bought. I'm doing great right now with the way the market market's going. Absolutely. Uh, I bought a little stock about two months ago, and I'm up about six uh, percent on it right now. The stock is IDCC. Yeah, it, look, it, it, I've known these guys for a long time. Uh, they are a, a premier digital wireless company, and I think it's still inexpensive. I can't believe that it's still at these low prices. Even though the stock's moved, it, the actual stock valuation is inexpensive. Let's go to Chuck in South Carolina. Chuck. I'm calling about Ferroglobe, stock symbol GSM. All right, Ferroglobe, is, I remember this company before the previous existence. It's still very expensive, but it just did have a straight-up move, up 60% for the year. I'd wait for a pullback. Let's go to Michael in New York. Mike. Jim, a big fat upstate booyah from uh, New York. Jim, how are you? I like upstate New York. Glad you're calling. What's going on? Congrats on all your success. I'm thinking about uh, either holding or selling a stock that's a pure crypto play. It's out of a little city. You might have heard of it. Las Vegas. Am I just rolling the dice here, or can I hold it for the long term way after Tamara, M-A-R-A? Uh, you know what? I think you're rolling the dice. By the way, look, Bitcoin is, you want to like Bitcoin, you want to own Bitcoin, own Bitcoin. Let's go to Edgar in Florida. Edgar. Hey, Jimmy. Sorry about the Eagles, buddy. Yeah, that was a tough one. That was very tough. Yeah, that's all right. You got the Cowboys next week. You're still the team to beat. We, 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 we thrive on adversity. What's going on? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, my question tonight for you is, will you, will the United States moving to having uh, rare earth and the critical elements being not only mined here, but also refined here, you know, in the United States? I was wondering, what is your thoughts on MP materials? Well, I think it just it turned out to cost a little bit more than than I'd like to be able to do what they want. Although Latinsky's a good CEO, I have to tell you, it's, it's just it's just not coming together fast enough. How about that? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up. 
There's no shortage of haters of the bet against crowd, but Kramer has an holistic view of the shorts that might surprise you next. blame so many things on short sellers. We say they drive down stocks unfairly. They get short and get loud and make stocks crumble. They write negative articles and reveal that they're short the very stocks they're bashing. But look, other than when someone outright lies about a stock making up negative stories to artificially push it lower, I got no problem at all with the way short sellers operate. It's only fair. After all, the bulls do the same thing, don't they? They come on air and brag about the stocks they own, giving preposterous price targets, telling tale tales of greatness. Think about how the Wall Street promotion machine gets behind really crummy IPOs to keep them afloat. The shorts have no such apparatus. They're just out there hoping to come up with something negative that sticks. But as I run a long-based charitable trust, which you can follow for the CNBC Investing Club, I'll tell you what I do like. I like it when the shorts press their bets on stocks for no reason beyond valuation, because that's when they tend to lose a lot of money. Calling something expensive is a subjective judgment. That's not enough. Apple's been regarded as expensive for years, thanks to slowing cell phone sales. NVIDIA's been called expensive for ages, only for everyone to discover the stock was much cheaper than it looked because the earnings estimates were way too low. But think about the shorts being crushed right now on a fintech stock like Affirm, a company that defied projections for buy-now-pay-later credit weakness. It just keeps delivering. Without short sellers panicking, Affirm's stock probably would be only half as high. Look at all the enterprise software stocks that have had such big bets against them. A Workday, a Salesforce, a Cloudflare, a Palo Alto Networks. They were never as hated as a firm, but they had plenty of people betting against them based on concerns about slowing billings growth. Take Palo Alto. They told us that billings were no longer a useful way to predict future business. That crushed the stock because billings are supposed to be the key metric in this industry. Then Salesforce and CrowdStrike said the same thing. The bears who banged down Palo Alto on Billings then lost their leg to stand on, and Palo Alto stock rocketed higher. Much of that rally was because of short sellers who were buying stock back in order to close out the positions at a loss, throwing the towel. Because CEO Nikesh Arora wasn't just coming up with excuses. He was right to de-emphasize Billings. Salesforce put up amazing numbers this summer, but didn't guide up much for the year. So its stock shot up 20 points in the press release and then fell 20 on the conference call. The Bears assumed the same thing would happen this time when the company reported. Nope. Salesforce gave you a huge guide up and gaffed the shorts, who sent the stock soaring as they rushed to cover their positions after the extremely bullish conference call. Now you might wonder... How do we know that the shorts are behind some of these rallies? It's a tough question. As much as I want to teach you everything I can about this business, sometimes it just comes down to the touch and feel that I learned when I was a hedge fund manager. I can only say that I know the feeling in the pit of my stomach from a short going wrong back from my old hedge fund days. It requires immediate attention. It's often a prisoner's dilemma among the shorts. Maybe no one covers. Maybe one short covers and gets out at a decent price. Maybe everybody covers and the shorts just get massacred. In the end, the stock's suddenly too risky to bet against, so you have to cover because the longs will spot that movement and start buying to profit from your pain. The house of pain. Something I explain in my regular weekend think piece to the investing club members. But look, you'll never hear me blame the shorts for the way they handle themselves. They tend to find out negative news the longs simply don't want to hear. They go against the great Wall Street promotion machine. They know corruption when they see it. But when they just say this stock is too expensive, they often shoot themselves in the foot. Because stocks can stay expensive for longer 
then the short sellers can stay solvent. In the end, you need to monitor your, your stocks for short reports. You must stay current about what they're saying. But if they're just saying something's too expensive and the business is doing well, well, let's just say you don't have all that much worry when you own that kind of stock. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.